1420 WBSM presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. We're getting a little bit of a late start tonight because we were eating some cookies. That's uh, Thank true. you, Chris. Yes, thank you very much, Chris. She dropped us off some some uh, cookies and our Festivus gifts. We thank her very much for that. And of course, we start eating cookies and we lose track of the time, which is... It happens. Know, yeah, usually what Always, happens. Every time eating. I eat cookies. So, but uh, we are here, and we're here to talk with you about the paranormal, as we are each and every Saturday night. Well, except for last week, we were on a special Sunday night program. And if you missed it, if you missed our fascinating discussion with Stephen Bassett of the Paradigm Research Group about UFO disclosure, then you can check it out on the archives at SpookySouthCoast.com, and you can also sign up for the podcast via iTunes or Zoom Marketplace or wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, you'll find the podcast there, uh, and also... <clears throat> Matt, isn't it true that they can just go right to the uh, the archives and download each podcast right from there as they well? They can. Yes. That's a nice feature we have. It's uh you know, it's uh it's there it couldn't be any easier to listen to every single episode of Spooky South Coast. Now that we are entering year 5, we are celebrating our 4th anniversary tonight. Hard to believe. It was uh January 26th, uh 2006. Do the math real quick. January 26, 2006, that we first took the airwaves here at WBSM, scared out of our minds. Uh, Matt Moniz had the good sense to not come around until we'd already been on for a few weeks and kind of established ourselves. He's like, uh-uh, I'm not getting involved with that train wreck. <laughs> but uh, as we, we kind of felt our way through it. Evan Russo, of course, was here at the time, and he was helping us out immensely, getting the program off the ground. And I remember, remember the first... Uh, Remember the first program, Matt? Do you have any memories of that first night? I remember that we didn't know what we were doing. Yeah, well, that that was uh, obvious. We still really don't know what we're doing. But uh, I, I remember uh, n- not remembering to bring in some sort of recording device for the uh, podcasting. I remember they used to have a, a, a device here that would record it, and we used to we you know we always just assumed we'd come in and use that and. Uh, every time we came in to do practice runs or or the locker room show, it was always here. And then, of course, the first night of Spooky South Coast gone. <laughs> so we actually recorded that original program on my tape recorder that I had at the time. I had, I think it was, it might have, yeah, it was a digital tape recorder. Um, but we didn't turn the the volume knobs down, so it really just blew the levels right out. But it still exists; it's still out there. And if you've heard it, I think uh, Hipcast kind of took off some of the older episodes but if you've heard the original first episode of spooky south coast and god love you if you have you remember our first guest was keith johnson uh, of near paranormal in rhode island and he is actually going to join us tonight to help us celebrate our fourth anniversary and he's been a frequent guest over the years and he's been one of our our best friends uh, in the paranormal world and outside the paranormal world and he's helped us on cases he's helped us on investigations and we've done events with him. He's just a super person, and uh, he is going to join us uh, in just a second because, I mean, that's really what this is all about. It's making a family, making a group, making a a community, and Keith was one of the first ones to say, okay, 
I have no idea what you guys are all about or if you even know what you're talking about, but I'll come on and, and I'll help you through it. <laughs> and he did, and, and we had a great show with him that time, and, and every time has been even better ever since. Uh, during the course of the discussion, if you want to call in, if you have a question for Keith during the discussion, or maybe you just want to call in, say happy anniversary, whatever, give us a call, 508-996-0500 or toll-free 1-877-996-1420. You can also email us, spookycrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. And Keith Johnson, of course, you know him. You've seen him on Ghost Hunters. You've probably watched his show Ghosts Are Near, which airs on cable access in Rhode Island and also on the Internet. And now, in addition to being a paranormal investigator, in addition to being a demonologist, in addition to wearing all the other hats Keith wears, Keith Johnson is now an author. And he's joining us tonight to talk about his new book, Paranormal Realities. Keith, how are you doing? And... How, just how how different is it now to to be able to add author onto your list of many titles? Well, it's exciting, and the book was long in coming. I worked uh, quite a while on it, and uh, Sandra pushed me into finally getting it published. So I'm glad it's out there. Well, you, you I mean, doing Ghost on You, you talk to a number of authors, and it, it's you get to the point where you say, "I admire the work that you put into it." I don't know where you find the time. And with all the things that you do, how did you find the time? Uh, just just every spare moment. I, I worked on it, and there were a lot of different starts. And then I'd start again, start different chapters, and start again, and rewrite and rewrite. And it was just uh, literally while I was uh, just like going out the door, I'd be typing with one hand, the other hand reaching for the doorknob, and, and just uh, doing every every moment that I could. So finally I, I did get it together. And... Uh, did get quite a bit of material in during that time, fortunately. Well, in addition to being a, a book that will give people uh, a great deal of knowledge, uh, the many years of knowledge that you've amassed in the paranormal, it's also autobiographical to a degree as well. Yes, yes it is. It does detail my experience in paranormal investigation from when I was uh, actually very small uh, right up until fairly recently. So it does co- cover quite a bit of ground there. And during the the course of writing this and, and going back and revisiting a lot of these instances, there might have been cases or, or certain things that you might have forgot about until you were really kind of retracing your steps through the paranormal. Uh, was there anything that when you were going back and looking over some of these past cases and past things that you've gone through, was there anything that kind of made you take a step back and say, well, wait a minute, I can apply that to what's going on today or you know, maybe that's changed how I view things today. Oh, sure. Things do repeat itself. They repeat themselves like the old saying, history repeats itself. Mm-hmm. The same is very true in the world of the paranormal. It's uh, so many things like, gee, I've, I've done that before. It's like deja vu. Here it is all over again. And uh, some things seem to be very systematic, and some things take you totally by surprise. And there's, that's the thing about the paranormal world. There's always something new. You can get as much experience into the routine as you want, but... And it's going to, you know, knock you from the back because you don't, you never know what to expect. As you know that from experience, oh, especially yeah. being in the uh, Lizzie Borden house and the Q Club and, you know, illustrious places like that. Well, one thing that I remember you telling us uh, in a previous appearance here is, and you, you mentioned how when you first started doing this, there wasn't a whole lot of equipment that you took out with you. Uh, you guys would bring a, you'd record things on a reel-to-reel tape recorder. So at least we're getting a little bit more portable right, in the paranormal. Right, that is true, a little more portable. But, I mean, you've been through this this uh, 
this wave of increased technology in the paranormal field. And we talk about it here, and we're seeing it with a lot of our investigator friends. There actually seems to be almost like an abandoning of a lot of that material, a lot of those devices. And a lot of people are trying to just go back to basics. Is that something that you know, you're trying to do in your approach too, or are you just looking for whatever the latest thing is out there that might help you get the job done? Well, the thing is, uh, one of my pieces of equipment I always uh, try to take with me, it's called Old Faithful. It's an old uh, 1979 Panasonic uh, tape recorder, and uh, it's, it's kind of my trademark because when I don't uh, take it, people will ask, hey, where's Old Faithful? Where's Old Faithful? <laughs> because I've obtained so many EVPs on that recording device, it's not funny, so... Um, it's almost like a talisman by now. It's a good, a good luck charm, and uh, I know uh, my friend Brian Hanwa wants to have it uh, bronze once it no longer is in functioning <laughs> condition. Uh, that that would be perfect. You can hang it from the dashboard. Yes, right, exactly. But, uh, what I mean, one thing too is uh, that I've noticed when when people say that they're they're not bringing as much equipment out there with them is it's and it was actually Matt Moniz here who actually. Uh, suggested this first to me, but I seem to notice that it seems to be taking over the paranormal field in general, is they're realizing that if they leave a lot of the equipment at home or don't turn it on when they're in an investigation, they're sharpening their own skills, they're sharpening their own feelings and intuitions. Yes, absolutely. And in the early days, that's exactly what we had to rely on. And uh, there's nothing wrong with using intuition. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you something, uh, how finely tuned my... Uh, are in that way. The other day, I was uh, at Slater Mill, of course, the you know haunted mill site, and uh, I was actually working there. And um, all of a sudden, I was alone in the basement. All of a sudden, I had this overwhelming feeling that there was a presence nearby. Some something was approaching, and it was just so unmistakable that there was a presence there. All of a sudden, the door opened, and there's one of my coworkers. So it was a physical presence, but I was actually sensing that there was a presence nearby very suddenly. And uh turned out I was right. It just wasn't a spirit. It was a person, a physical person. Oh, I mean, you were tuned in to, to something, you know, bigger. Um, you know, I also heard, too, and, and this is a discussion I had with somebody recently uh, about a lot of this, a lot of these uh, paranormal uses for equipment, uh, you know, not manufactured solely for the paranormal field, but for other purposes, such as a digital tape recorder. Oh, yes. Uh, I, I've been hearing that some of these manufacturers think that the capturing of EVP is actually a, a sign that the equipment isn't doing the job correctly, and they're trying to find ways to make it so that that stuff doesn't happen anymore. Well, I think that's going to that's going to take a lot of work for them to be able to tune that up so it doesn't pick up EVPs or anything at all, mm-hmm. and uh, because it it has a certain amount of uh, receptability and sensitivity, it has to, or else if they're tuning out uh, EVP reception, they're going to be tuning out a lot of other things. For example. Obviously, uh, an EMF, electromagnetic field device, was not created to find spirits. It was created to uh, measure electrical flux and output, uh, but it also works very well in the paranormal field, uh, too. So, I mean, if you take away a certain amount, you're going to just, I think you're going to disrupt the device, and it's going to be something totally, totally uh, altogether different anyway. Well, this particular person, I, I tried to explain to him that, uh, I think that these companies, Sony, Panasonic, Olympia, Olympus, or, you know, I think they're savvy enough to realize that if they did start tinkering with it, uh, right now, the paranormal field is probably a big part of their 
their uh their oh market. yes yes definitely definitely the market is out there for the paranormal field so uh they'd be uh hurting their own business so to speak I mean, I'd start making ones that come preloaded with EVPs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be neat. Uh, but uh, so when when working on the book and when when getting it out there and getting to go back out and of course you and Sandra and Carl, you're always out there teaching. You're doing different classes and bringing your knowledge to the public. But now that you're getting out there and you're you're promoting the book, is it kind of like reliving a lot of these cases all over again? Or are you? Well, it is. It is. It is, uh, Tim, because. I'm going back to of these stories, and I'm actually seeing how far we've come and going back to our roots and thinking, wow, this actually happened. I'm going down memory lane here. And uh, you look upon it, and it's, gee, that, that actually did happen. It's kind of amazing when you think back on it. For example, one of the cases in the book is a haunting in Harrisville. About, it's the first in-home case we ever did, and Carl and I were still teenagers at the time and the house turned out to be demonically infested. Now, it's just it's just come so far since then, and yet you look back at that, and it was such a fascinating, fascinating case, even with what rudimentary equipment we had, and, and sometimes we didn't even have it with us if it was like a, a last-minute call, because I had just come from work for my landscaping job, so I looked, I mean, I was covered with soot from head to foot, and my hair was really long at the time, and... uh Incidentally, the same with John Zappas. When we were teenagers, we were both uh, pencil-thin with long, long hair, and uh, even though we do not look like that now. But, um, John especially. I, I'm sure he wishes that he <laughs> right, misses yeah. that long hair. Oh, he can always put on a wig or something like that. But, uh, <laughs> but this case, you know, I'd just come from my landscaping job, and I was dead tired, but still it was, it was fascinating. When you look back at it, that, that's our roots, and that's what we're, we're very proud of and we um, reminisce on. Incidentally, uh, we had called in the group I was with, Pyro, Parapsychology Investigation and Research Organization at Rhode Island College at the time. I suggested, when we found out this case was so heavy-duty, why don't we consult with Ed and Lorraine Warren, our friends Ed and Lorraine. And we did consult with them, and they did more than consult. They actually drove down from Monroe, Connecticut, and assisted us with the case. So I've heard that there is a major motion picture being made about this case. And uh, when it's going to come out, supposedly sometime this year, I don't know, but uh, it's called The Conjuring. Well, uh, I hope they remember that you're also a trained actor. I hope so, too, you know, because <laughs> I'd be up for the part, you know. I, I mean, I really don't look like I did as a teenager. I've changed just a little bit, but, um, you know, I, I could do some method acting, I suppose. <laughs> well, when when you first got involved, it was a lot different than it is now. It oh, wasn't yeah. a, a public... A field it wasn't uh, something that was on television and, and radio all the time for people to uh, you know start to generally accept it. Right over the years, what's been your transformation um, in how you present yourself publicly? Uh, back then, were you open about what it is that you did? Were you as as out in the public eye about it as you are now, or did is this something that you kind of grew into over the years? Well, I I had to really be clandestine about it, Tim, because. Um it really wasn't a subject you could uh, discuss. I mean, especially not demonology, but just uh, paranormal investigation in general. Uh, you could tell some tell people I'm um, in a group at Rhode Island College. Oh wow, I didn't know that existed on campus. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, it just it just was not. It, people would look at you funny, like, oh, "What are you into devil worship?" No, 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 that that's not it at all. I'm I'm trying to you know research something that's called the paranormal field, and it just. It just was not except there was one show, one show, and I'm sure you 
you remember this. It was called In Search Of. Mm-hmm. In Search Of, hosted by Lennon Nimoy That's at the time. That's why we're here today. Yep, exactly. And that, that's, that was a great show, and that was um, kind of our one avenue about it. But other than that, um, you really, really could not talk about it publicly without risking a lot of ridicule. And uh, believe me, I, I did, did get a lot of ridicule at the time. And uh, so did in Lorraine, as I recall. And uh, Oh, sure, yeah. They, they definitely... Uh... They definitely suffered some slings and arrows mm-hmm. during the course of their career. But you've been on the forefront of many things, and I, I don't mean to make it sound like you're an old guy, Keith. Not at all. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you've been involved with paranormal cases before people would openly go out and search for this stuff. Yeah. Uh, you were actually one of the first people involved with Ghost Hunters. Mm-hmm. So you were involved with this paranormal reality stuff long before anybody else was. True. And, and you've taken your religious approach, because being a religious person, you've taken that approach with you into the field, and you've utilized that long before shows like Paranormal State came around. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever just sit back and say, man, I am the paranormal? <laughs> Well, it's it's actually more of a humbling experience than that because I think, wow, how long I how long I've been into it. I've been into it over thirty five years, and uh, been you know coming at it from a religious aspect. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's just, it's just so weird because you know you start thinking, gee, this is great. I've I've had so much experience. I've had so much you know so much has been accomplished, and then you'll get a backlash. You know that'll really really keep you grounded. Yeah, and believe me, I've been with. Um, you know, we've, I've been with groups with close, you get very close to clients, you get very close to other investigators, and because of, the, especially because of the, um, you know, religious aspect and the demonology aspect of it, uh, people will get very, very funny. Suddenly they'll, uh, they'll deny that you were there, they'll deny they knew you, they'll deny the situation ever happened, and, uh, you know, as far as the, the clients go, that's, in a way that's understandable because they do want to remove themselves from uh, what happened, and uh, they tend some some people tend to go into an, a state of denial. But um, it, it really is uh, can be very very bizarre, and it will knock you for a loop. So you have to keep grounded. Well, I, I mean, when I look at it, I think that there's probably certain people that are are put here to do certain things, mm-hmm. and whereas you've been kind of right in the right spot at the right time for we'll say trends in the paranormal field it shows me that not only are you you know in the right place at the right time kind of destined to do that but it shows that you're at the forefront of things because you have an open mind to think you are open to what where this field is going to take you and you're not locked into one thing whereas other investigators might say you want me to do what you want me to come on this television show and help you out with demon you know with possible demonic cases no right. way i'm not doing that i'm not exposing what i do you know, to an audience to possibly take me down for it. And, and it, you, the fact that you haven't allowed yourself to be pigeonholed, I think, is what has probably given you more insight into a lot of this stuff than other people might have and allowed you to experience more cases than others might have. And another thing is meeting so many fascinating people along mm-hmm. the way and getting to work with such a variety of people and yourself and uh Matt included, and Matt, and, uh, you know, I meet great people like yourself, and it's it's just wonderful getting to meet people and getting these experiences, and uh, knowing there's people, there's always people that uh, will be there and uh, remember your roots, and, you know, that, that you have a lifelong relationship with them, too. Well, I mean, thank you, and, and we're very proud mm. to know you and work with you as well, but... Honored. It's Excellent. Thank you, Matt. You're welcome. There's... But 
when you're out there and you're investigating with somebody, you know, who you know has more experience than you and has experience, has been in the face of this a lot more than you have, um, I'd rather just sit back and watch most of the time and, and learn. But as I've come to find out, the only, it's, it's definitely a hands-on field. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, that's, that's exactly, now that you mentioned that, that's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to, when I first started out, I wanted to take it easy. I mean, I certainly wanted to get involved, be actively involved, but um, I wanted to be uh, assisting in exorcisms more than uh, and deliverances and uh, house cleansings more than performing them. But it turned out right away I had to go into it and, and start like taking the lead and doing these things because there really wasn't anybody to uh, you know be a mentor to, to follow. And uh, I was very close with Ed Warren, of course, but. Uh, Obviously, he was not around a lot of the time. I couldn't really be with him to to train with him personally. So, a lot of times, I was on my own and had to make my own mistakes along the way, and uh, you know, face the ridicule too. Well, you know, making mistakes uh, is part of growing as a person. But I don't know if I'd feel comfortable making mistakes uh, being in the face of a demon. Right. Right. <laughs> I well, mean, you know, the first time, the first time I performed religious provocation, for example, was by accident. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was in this this case in the Harrisville home, and I happened to be with some of the children of the family, and they told me they were Christians, they were very afraid, and you could feel the tension building. So I said, um, well, try calling upon the name of Jesus when you feel afraid. Suddenly all heck started to break loose in the room. Uh, a window slammed shut, a girl got slapped, and uh, had, you know, her head flew back. Uh, you could just, the atmosphere was almost electric, you could hardly breathe, and... Uh, Fortunately, I was able to handle it, you know, by the grace of God, I was able to handle it, and uh, through prayer, the uh, entity did leave the room immediately. It didn't leave the house, but it did leave the room. So um, that was a lesson that uh, how quickly these things can manifest, you know, if provoked. And you people always wonder why I'm so hesitant to go on a demonic case. Right. <laughs> I think we have a call on the line for you, Keith. Sure. Let's go to the phones. Good evening, on Spooky South Coast with Keith Johnson. How are you? Hi, yes, this is Carrie from Magic. Hey, how you doing? Well, hi, I'm Carrie. Doing fantastic. Hi, Keith, how are you? Good, how are you doing? I am doing fantastic. I figured I would call in. I've been listening to the show, and it's been going great. And, you know, it's amazing because you've been doing this for how long now, Keith? Oh, over 35 years. <laughs> it's fantastic. I love hearing you talk out there. But I had a question for you, Keith, and I, and I don't know um, because it, there's such a time delay between listening online and listening you know, over the over the over the phone here, um, but you know, with your book, I, I know it's it's been you you guys are sold out, and I'm really looking forward. I really want a copy of it. Um, are you guys getting some more copies in, or I did I actually did get uh, several copies in recently. So fantastic! I'm going to have to get some. Yeah, fantastic! And hand them out to my members. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Remember, the more you push the publisher, the more they love to hear that stuff. That's that's true. That's true. And 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 speaking about speaking about um, you know publishers, um, you know, you know sometimes you uh, submit a book for a publishing and uh, you know it comes out great and the uh, the book looks I like the way it looks very attractive and the thing is that uh, sometimes you see uh, typographical errors that you didn't put in the first place. You know, <laughs> hey, no matter how that. much you proofread, it comes back and there's uh, error, typos you didn't put in and. And I know other other people, uh, per, people I know personally that have had books published that 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 happens with too. You know, I know it happened to our friend Chris too. Chris Balzano, you know, was like, uh, you well, know, was um, an English teacher, and wait a minute, I didn't put these errors in there. So you, that's another thing you got to expect. Yeah. 
Being in the media business, we usually just tell people it's because we have chimpanzees that transcribe. Right. And sometimes the fingers don't really hit the keys correctly. Right. All right. Well, thank you for calling in. Do you um, now? Have you had the opportunity to actually investigate with Keith? Oh yes, absolutely. Yep. Carrie and I go back a ways. Yeah. Oh so, yeah. What seven, ten years? I don't yeah, know. It's been a while. There, yes. Yeah. We we we've known each other for a long time. Yep. And so. I can, every time we're in his presence, we always learn something. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And Old Faithful, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, that that's something that I'll, Old Faithful, you know, his, his recorder. <laughs> it's, it's so funny, a funny story. Um, when Carrie and I first knew each other, she hadn't met Carl as yet, and I don't think she was aware I had a twin brother. <laughs> no, I wasn't. <laughs> and he, showed up, he shows up at a meeting, and the first thing she does is grab him around the arm. Oh, I can't, I've, I've been waiting to pick your brain. Come right over here. And, you know, Carl's, you know, because Carrie's an attractive lady, <laughs> so Carl's got a big smile on his face. And uh, she carries him over, and she starts talking to him. And suddenly she realizes, uh, he, he says, I, I don't really know who you are, but I know. But, uh, and that, yeah. That's that's a perfect Carl story, I guess. Oh yeah, yeah that's, oh yeah. And I tell you something. Right. I was so flushed in the face. My my face was so red that whole night. That whole night. <laughs> that's okay. But, at least uh, at, at least you got to meet the twin in a happier setting. Uh, my sister found out that my friend who had passed away had a twin brother at the wake. Oh gee. Which was not the perfect opportunity. She saw <laughs> no, him and flipped out. She was like nine at the time. <laughs> so, oh jeez. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for calling in and checking. Oh, in. not a problem, Keith. God bless, and thank you know, you, have a, God have bless a great you. night. Thanks. Bye bye. Yeah. Bye bye. If you'd like to call in and ask Keith a question, the number is five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. The book is called Paranormal Reality. So they are they are putting out another uh, another printing, Keith. Uh, yes. Yes, they are, and. Um, also, uh, eventually I will, you know, right now I'm working on Paranormal Realities 2. All right, that's a catchy title. And there is a, there will be a chapter in that about the Dover Demon. Cool. Nice. And it centers around our experience, uh, when I actually did the, uh, anniversary Dover Demon show in, um, 2007 with you guys. So you guys are in that chapter, so. Oh, thank you for look, that. Look for that. That thank was a cool you. night. Yeah, including, uh, Matt's, uh, visit from, uh, <laughs> the police. Yeah, right. You know. <laughs> right. And, and if you want to find out more about the book and more about Keith and Near in general, you can just go to his website, nearparanormal.com. And, of course, it's linked up right on SpookySouthCoast.com as well. We have another call on the line, so let's take that. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with Keith Johnson. How are you? How are you doing tonight? Hey, Keith. How are you doing? This is uh, John from New England Paranormal Research. Oh, hi. How do you do? Very nice to talk to you. Nice to meet you, too. Hey, I got a question for you. What was the first thing that made you get into doing paranormal investigation? We actually grew up in a house that had some paranormal activity, and uh, at first these little things would happen. Uh, maybe it's our imagination, but then then some things happened that uh, they just couldn't be explained. Like uh, we were very young, my um, mother was drinking a glass of water. The water just bubbled up and vaporized, just disappeared on its own. Uh, I was in a house in Little Compton. I turned a corner, and there's a chair. Nobody else is in the house. There's a chair rocking. It's an abandoned house. There's a chair rocking furiously by itself. And uh, just these things, you know, this is too much to be coincidence. There's something out there. And plus, um, I was brought, brought up in a, uh, you know, religious Christian household. So I was um, reading the Bible, and uh, I really felt that I was called into this field. And uh, so that's what started my... Um, my initial interest in it, so I, I just couldn't keep away from it. 
Great, great. Well, thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. You probably had similar experiences yourself that got you into this. Yeah, yeah. Growing up in uh, Freetown, we uh, a lot of things goes on in Freetown State. Oh, Park. yes, yeah. That's that's an understatement. Things do go on in Freetown. Yes. <laughs> yes, and uh, because of growing up around there, that's what's brought me to get into this. And so I'm I'm very lucky to have lived in this area to be a part of this now. Fantastic. And and John, don't you have something coming up in Freetown in April? Yes, we do. We uh, we actually uh, have a paranormal weekend coming up uh, the weekend of April 16th, 17th, and 18th. We're going to be doing uh, convention slash investigations. Um, we will be having a former member of Gesso's, uh, Ghost Hunters International coming, Shannon Sylvia. We have also booked a few other people, Dave Sircom. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with him from Cape uh, Cod Ghost Hunters. He's coming up and speaking, and we're actually trying to talk to Keith right now about coming to doing it and hopefully promote his book and everything with us also. Yeah. So uh, hopefully we can get in touch with you this week, Keith, and that would be great to have you. We'd be honored to have you do it. Well, we're going to be doing, to uh, speaking to you about it very much. Good, good. We're going to be doing an eight-hour investigation on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night for anybody who wants to purchase tickets um, throughout the Freetown Forest, four or five different locations. And the lectures will be Saturday and Sunday from noontime until about 6 at night. All right. Well, we'll be sure to have you on uh, as the event gets closer and, and we can discuss it more in depth. All right. Well, thank you very much. And, Keith, I look forward to talking to you. Excellent. Uh, thanks for calling in, John. No yeah. problem. Thank you, night. guys. Yeah, I mean, that definitely seems to be, you know, the epicenter now of, of parent. It's, it's so funny because... Uh, I was watching uh, something on television about the Amityville case recently, and it just amazes me how there's certain, um, I don't know, touchstones of the paranormal, certain places where it becomes synonymous with paranormal activity, and it becomes the place that people most associate with being haunted. And in this area, the Freetown State Forest is certainly becoming number one far and away as being kind of the poster child for everything that goes on around here. And... I can tell you, Keith, as an investigator, it must drive you crazy that it's an outdoor place. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that would become so synonymous with it. But o- over the course of your, your years investigating, you must have had a few outdoor cases. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's certain spots. Of course, certain cemeteries that are uh, very, very famous. And, well, now there's, um, of course, the uh, Judge Brayton Cemetery in War- War- Warwick, Rhode Island. It's uh, Appenog section. It's It's less known than, say, the Mercy Brown Cemetery, but uh, it, it is uh, known for paranormal activity. We've investigated there many times. and um, Ramtail. Yeah, yeah, exactly, Ramtail. <laughs> that's, that's a good point, Matt. Uh, Ramtail, how, how much more out in the wilderness can you get? Yeah, really. You know, and uh, old haunted mill site, and we've investigated that many, many times. And uh, Thy men's misery. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. There are many, many places that uh, are outdoors and... Um, very, very well known, and uh, of course, investigating outdoors is a whole different ball game too. <laughs> you know, you really need somebody like a scout to lead you there. And, uh... Well, it's it's another example, though, of how certain people with certain skill sets will get involved with this, and it, it always seems like there's a perfect fit uh, for any investigation. It can always find the person that you need that has the certain skills. Have you ever been in an, in an investigation where you felt like you've been at a disadvantage? Like maybe you weren't prepared for the activity that was there, even if it was something demonic, you just weren't ready for what it was that you had to face? Sure, sure. Um, 
there is, this is one of the uh, chapters in the book Paranormal Realities as well. Uh, there was a case in uh, Providence where this 14-year-old boy, and this is going back to the early 1980s, this 14-year-old boy, Hispanic boy, was uh, actually going under possession. And, uh, I, you know, I certainly was not prepared for it. We happened to come over um, visiting one night. We're out socializing, and we stopped at their house, and um, all of a sudden I heard this blood-curdling scream, and I asked my brother, what's going on with him? Oh, he's uh, he's obsessed with a demon. He's um, he's having fits. And, oh, okay. So, you know, it's like we had to really spend some time preparing for this before we came back and dealt with it. Because, uh, you know, something like that, you're suddenly in that situation. It's like you, you, I just felt very, very unprepared at that moment, and we really had to uh, spend some time preparing before we were able to come back and deal with that situation. And how would you do that, just by kind of centering yourself? and? Yes, yeah, praying, praying a lot, centering, praying a lot beforehand, praying for protection, uh, placing myself in a spiritual state of mind, and... Um, that was, and even even when we did get there for an exorcism, uh, somebody else was conducting the exorcism, and it was not something I was, you know, prepared for at the time because I had kind of been led that it was going to be a um, Catholic uh, ritual Romanum exorcism, and it wasn't. It was a Santerian exorcism, and uh, even though they said it would be Catholic because Catholicism is is somewhat involved, but uh, it was just it turned out to be a lot of it was pandemonium, you know. So I just I was thankful that I was safe. Well, looking at the number of demonic and possession cases that you've dealt with, how frequent is it? How often do you come across it in your investigations? Actually, you don't come across it, uh, at least to that level, uh, that often. Uh, a true demonic case is actually rather rare, rather rare. And, um, of course, we see more of it because we're called into those uh, mm -hmm. specific cases. Uh, most of the time we wind up doing a, a house blessing and uh, we might get some EVPs, but there's very little in the way of being attacked or, or uh, violence or anything. So it actually is very rare, but you always have to be prepared because uh, just when you think nothing's going to happen, that's when you actually get on that case that everything's happening at once and it's all pandemonium. So you never have to take this, you know, can never take it for uh, granted because uh, it's going to strike when you least expect it. Is there certain factors that uh, you can almost tell when you walk into something that it is demonic by nature? Yes, yes, the, from the activity that's going on, and plus sometimes if your senses aren't attuned, mm -hmm. you can just uh, walk in. I know Matt knows what I'm talking about, too. You can just <laughs> walk in and you, you know that something's wrong. That, oh, yeah. Exactly. Because it, it just seems to me, and, and I know we've discussed this in the past, but it's only becoming worse now, that every paranormal group now has their resident demonologist. There's now yes. somebody on board whose job it is to, to deal with that. And I almost think that that's, you know, kind of akin to being, you know, the punter on a football team. You know, right. you're not really going to be out there if everything's going well, uh, and then you just have to get out there and do the job when the time comes. Mm -hmm. Um is, is is there a downside to having so many quote unquote demonologists running around out there? Well, uh, a demonologist, somebody who's in a demonologist, uh, you know, no matter how young and new they are to the field, they first of all have to be an investigator. They have to be able to go on a paranormal investigator, even if nothing overt is happening. It, it doesn't seem to be demonic activity. They have to be able to function as a regular investigator, and uh, because you really can't come in looking for demons. You know, you, you can't come in saying, uh, 
Um, I believe this case is demonic, even though you haven't investigated it, and you have to give it the benefit of the doubt. Then, when because if it is demonic, it will be made apparent. Mm-hmm. It will make itself apparent to you sooner or later. So you have to be um, experienced as an investigator through and through. So even if somebody's a demonologist, you know, I'd, they shouldn't be just uh, kept in the closet and taken out when uh, when it's uh, we got a demonic case for you. They should be, sure. uh, I think, uh, holistically well-rounded as far as all facets of paranormal investigation go. But I think where they a lot of them get confused is they confuse demonologists with exorcists. Yes. I mean, I would love to be a demonologist. I would love to study it and know it and be able to present the information and be the resource that a team would need. But when it comes to the actual exorcism, I'm not sure I want to get out there and do that part. Right. And <laughs> just because you're a demonologist doesn't mean you have to have demonic possession all the time. Oh, yes, yeah. That that possession itself is is even rarer. That, that's extremely, extremely rare. Does happen, but it is rare. And I, I and I know that you're friends with with Ryan Buell and, and PRS, and but I think that they're actually kind of one of the reasons why people are are wanting to be more involved with uh, at least the real, more religious side of investigation. We'll say yes. Um, and and that's at least brought that back to people where a lot of people look at it as the downside is you know Ryan looks at everything as being a, a, a demon. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. That's you know I can see where you come with that. But uh, the other good thing is is it's allowing people that are of that faith or of certain faiths to consider the paranormal when they might not have before. Yes, right. So it works twofold. Right. And, and of course, people have to understand that Ryan, like us, is going to be called into these specific kinds of cases. And um, obviously, the cases that they just sit around and nothing happens during dead time, they're not going to make it on the air because, uh, well, you know, I mean, because, if... you know, that. but that's the reality of the situation. Most of the time, you're dealing, you're just, you know, patience is really a virtue. You're just, uh, and I know, again, Matt knows what I'm talking about, and you know what I'm talking about too, Tim, that the, you just, it's just a waiting game, and then it's reviewing the evidence afterwards. And also, you know, Ryan doesn't really run that show. The, the producers run that show. And True. The yep. producers realize that, hey, these, you know, demonic cases, these, these strong religious cases, they get us good ratings, so we're only going to put those ones on the air, and the rest of them, well, maybe there'll be, you know, bonus episodes in, in the DVD. Right, right. Yeah. So they're looking for the action. The action is, yes. Well, and speaking of action, we've we've only got a couple minutes here, but I don't want to forget to mention Ghosts Are Near, which recently had its 60th episode. Yes, yes, indeed. That is uh, pretty outstanding, the 60 great episodes. And uh, I think that uh, when you started doing this, I said, well, that's a perfect fit because, you know, Keith can be a terrific guest, but you're also a wonderful interviewer. And uh, some of the people that you brought on to the show is just amazing. And you've done it by yourself bringing included, them... Yourself included, yourself and Matt. Well, thank <laughs> you. Yeah. But you've done it by bringing them all right into your studio as well, for the mm-hmm. most part. Yeah, and we're we're about to move into a new studio. Uh, when we start taping again, it's going. we're going to get a brand new, uh, more modern studio. That's going to be in Providence. So um, we look forward to you visiting us sometime. And, oh, absolutely. You know, Sandra and I will be hosting in a brand new studio. Cool. That's awesome, and congratulations on the success on that. Thank you. And it's just amazing to me that, uh, you know, the, the more we go along in the paranormal world and 60 episodes for you, uh, four full years now for us, and some, some of these programs can actually stick around and can actually be a benefit, and we, we hope that we can continue to be that. We know that your show is that, and we thank you for your contributions to what we do over the years. Oh, you're very welcome, and it's it's always a pleasure with you guys. 
you know that, and I hope to, we get together again very soon. All right, you know our door is always open. Great. I got some stuff coming up in the next few months I might be giving you a call on. Oh, yes, please do, please do. One oh, of them oh, is an outdoor case. <laughs> oh, wow. I hope it warms up just a little bit. Yeah. Great. Matt, Matt's kind of a, a wuss when it comes to the cold anyway, so. Well, it's, yeah, it's... you. I don't like it. <laughs> you should see when I pick him up. He's standing there hovering. And... But uh, all right, Keith. Well, uh, again, best of luck with the book and continued success with Ghosts Are Near. Thank and uh, we look forward to uh, grabbing a copy when the next printing comes out. Okay, great. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again too. All right, take care and give our Stay best to Sandra. Thank you, guys. You know. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is Keith Johnson of Near Paranormal. You can check out his website, nearparanormal.com. You can check out all the episodes of Ghosts Are Near right online, and you can order Paranormal Realities, and when the new shipment comes out, they will send you out a copy. And they also have, I, I noticed on the website, you can actually get autographed copies, personally signed copies, where they'll actually make it out with whatever you want it to say. So, uh, Chris, I know if you want to get a copy of that book, you'll be able to order it right from Keith and, and have it signed. And... I just have to say, um, I, I can't believe that here we are four years after the first episode. We're talking to Keith again, and I'm just glad that he wanted to come back after the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of coming back, we'll be coming back in just a few minutes after the news. We'll do the Week in Weird, and then coming up in the second hour, we're going to talk to Diane, Diana Smith of the Believe It Tour about an event coming up in Keith's neck of the woods down in Rhode Island. So we'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Spooky South Coast is back. It's Saturday night. I have no date. A two-liter bottle of Shasta and my all-rush mixtape. Let's rock. I can I'm not afraid. You will. Welcome back, hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz. We are the paranormal talk show for the South Coast and even for people who aren't on the South Coast. And this is our fourth anniversary week, uh, January 26, 2006. That's when we first hit the airwaves, and uh, we are now entering year five, and we're hoping to make this one even bigger and better than we have in the past. And uh, I had mentioned last week that we might be throwing a little birthday party for ourselves. That's kind of been pushed off. So if we're going to do it, it'll probably be a little bit later on in the wintertime. But uh, stay tuned to SpookySouthCoast.com for more updates about that. Um, but we did ask for people to give us a hand in defraying some of the costs of producing this program. Um, I'll just throw it out there one more time. Spooky South Coast is not a production of WBSM. We we pay for things ourselves. So the website, the podcasting, all that stuff, that comes out of our own pocket. So uh, because it's been kind of a hard year and because it looks like it's going to be an even harder year coming up, uh, we did put a little donate button 
on SpookySouthCoast.com. And if you feel like you enjoy the program and it's worth a few dollars to you to, to make a PayPal donation and to uh, you know help defray some of the costs for us, that would be great. So many people have already responded. We want to thank uh, Stephanie. We want to thank Dave. We want to thank Linda. We want to thank Erica. Thank you all so much for donating. And we want you to know that uh, your donations are definitely going to help us out. Uh, guaranteed that we'll at least be able to keep the website going for another year. And uh, we're now we're, we're working on getting the podcasting taken care of. So thank you so much. If you want to make a donation, there's a, a PayPal button uh, right on SpookySouthCoast.com. Matt, do you want to throw out the mailing address if people want to send a check? Uh, sure. <clears throat> it's uh, uh, Post Office Box 3271, Wareham, Massachusetts, 02571. And you can make the checks payable to Spooky South Coast, and we'll put it into the account. We'll use that money to keep things going. And, again, as we said, anything that people donate that goes beyond uh, what we need to operate the show, we will uh, we'll put it into a, uh, you know, we'll write a check to the Red Cross and, and donate it to Haiti, or we'll donate it to one of the other charities that we're working with at the time. Uh, we'll make sure that that money is put to good use. Uh, believe me, we are not going to blow it all on pizza and beer. That is why we, you know, appeal to people who run businesses that sell pizza and beer <laughs> to be our friends because then we don't have to pay for it. Mm. That's how it works. One hand washes the other. <laughs> so uh, and uh, just a little bit of a programming note. Next week, Alexandra Bruce is the guest. She's going to talk to us about 2012, science or superstition. We're going to learn seriously all about the Maya beliefs, uh, why we think that 2012, uh, December 21st, 2012 is going to be the end of something and the beginning of something else. Uh, we're going to talk about all of that. This book, I'm, I'm in the middle of reading it now. It's a book that accompanies a film, and it's chock full of information. I mean, any question that you would have about 2012, that's the night to call in because they will all be answered. And then the week after that, February 6th, is another show I'm very excited about. Jonas Goat is going to be our guest. We're going to talk about the Lennon prophecy. Did John Lennon sell his soul to the devil? Does that explain the popularity of the Beatles? Does that explain his untimely death in 1980 at the hands of Mark David Chapman? Does that explain why there's so many clues in the Beatles and in Lennon's music that alludes to the idea of a Faustian pact between John Lennon and Satan? So stay tuned. Uh, I mean, it's at the very least, we're going to be playing some Beatles music. So how, how can you miss that? Or we have a call here. Let's take this real quick before we get into the week and weird. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Hey, Tim. It's Linda. How are you? Hey, Linda. Thank you very much for your for your donation, too. Oh, you're welcome. I figured since you updated the website, at least that's the least I could do. <laughs> we are. We're getting really good at making sure we update them now. Uh, you know, well, our at, new at, system is in place. After that uh, ghosty pancake, I got at least do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and you were a little concerned they wouldn't be able to hear the show tonight, but it, it seems to be working out well for you. Yeah, and you know, I... I kind of didn't read it clear enough to realize, oh, that's right. I remember you having problems with the visual part at one point. Yes. So I can't see you guys in the studio. And for some reason, I connected to the web, not being able to hear you as well. And then I went back on and said, oh, yeah, I can live stream it. Okay, no problem, because I'm in Connecticut. So. Well, we've, we've kind of scrapped the, we've scrapped the video for now, but we're looking into some new options for that. There's uh, some new technology coming available that might make it a lot easier to to do the video end of things. So I still can't understand why people want to see what's going on in here. You guys are just so much fun to watch. <laughs> That's Never debatable. I don't know what to expect out of you guys. That's debatable. 
But I call this a happy anniversary. Well, thank you very much. And, uh, many, 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 many more to come. And we're just glad that we can make friends such as yourself uh, by doing this program. It is. It, it has been quite enjoyable. And uh, I'm down at Connecticut uh, scop- scoping out some places for ghost hunting. All right. Yeah, you, you're you're kind of making the move toward uh, doing this a little bit more seriously now, huh? Well, I've only been doing it since uh, 2003. And like Keith was saying, the old way of doing it was, you know, just a, a recorder and uh, a video camera that didn't even have night vision and a pendulum and your intuition or maybe a seance, and that's how we used to do it. And also, uh, now that I get all these new toys to play with, I'm really <laughs> getting serious with this. Well, uh, we'll make sure that uh, when everything's up and going and you get the, the new site running and yeah. you want us to promote it, let us know, and we'll make sure that we do so. Oh, definitely. Everybody put you guys on as a link. All right. <laughs> well, thank so you for that. Get you guys out there. Let yeah. everybody know. Every link all helps. Right. Yep. Well, I'm just saying congratulations again, and uh, I will be seeing you soon. All right. Thanks. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah, again, that's something else that people can do to really help us out. If you if you like the show, please put a link to SpookySouthCoast.com on your on your website. Matt, is there is there specific uh, coding on the website for the links? Um, not exactly, but there is. Um, we have a couple um, banners that people can grab the link off of. Because I know, don't we need a certain coding for them to put on their site to help us with the Google ranks and all that stuff? Um, Kind of, sort of, but anything will help. People do all you can to help us, really. We, we, the, the key to, to year five here is visibility and expansion. That's what we're looking for, uh, this year. Please do whatever you can to help us become more visible and to expand. Call up whatever radio networks you listen to. Tell them that you want Spooky South Coast to be syndicated. Help us do this and help us reach more of a, a, a big audience because we've realized that even though we're, we try to be humble about it, we're damn good at what we do. And there's a lot of information here. And we're not damn good at what we do because we're good. It's because we have the right people coming onto this program and we have the right people who are willing to engage in conversation with us. And because we've been able to become friendly with them, we actually like to think that, you know, we have conversations with people instead of interviews and that that's more beneficial to the listener. And we're hoping that, you know, you're learning as, as we're learning as well. So the key is if we can get this information out to more people, it's only going to help the paranormal become more normal. So whatever you can do to help, we appreciate it. All that you have done already, we thank you for it. And uh, we're just happy that anybody's even turning us on each week, really. Because we, <laughs> we didn't think we'd be here four years from now. Uh, we thought that we would probably be kicked out after four weeks. And the fact that we've made it this long proves that either something's going right or the higher-ups at the station just go to bed real early on Saturday nights. <laughs> so, all right, why don't we skip the Week in Weird, because uh, we, we are running a little short on time. We want to get to our next guest. But uh, we'll take a break, and when we come back, we will talk to Diana Smith of the Believe It Tour about an event coming up in February right in Rhode Island that you can attend. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. 
right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and science advisor, Matt Moniz. And, uh, you know, we're celebrating our fourth anniversary, as we mentioned, and we've come to believe a, a lot over these last four years. But uh, one thing I couldn't believe is that there's a Believe It tour. Believe It? I do. I do now. And uh, joining us on the line is Diana Smith of BelieveItTour.com. She's the Vice President of Business Development for Believe It Tour. Uh, her background is diverse. She's uh, been in both the science and creative worlds as a classically trained scientist. She's been a global regulatory affairs director for medical devices companies in California and New York. And she was also a co-founder of an award-winning photography studio located in Southern California. And we always ask this question. People always ask this question to Matt Moniz, and he's got his answer, Diana. But what is a trained classical scientist doing involved with the paranormal? Well, I I think it's like a perfect fit for that. Don't you? Well, Matt, Matt, what do you always say when somebody says that to you? It's my job. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Well, I mean, I think a lot of times in science it's all about belief as well. So it, to me, seems perfect. Exactly. And the more of you straight, normal scientific type people we can get involved in wait this, minute, the better we all look. Diana, <laughs> you, you can agree with me. Last thing a scientist is, is is normal. Well, I completely agree with that. Well, some are, but, you know, I think the the ones that merge creativity with that definitely, uh, definitely aren't. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things that uh, I think when, when somebody says the idea of a scientist I- involved with the paranormal, they, they automatically attach a negative connotation to that uh, because... On, on a two-way street, though, not only does the scientific community kind of look down at colleagues who might be involved with this, or at least they had in the past, also sometimes people in the paranormal field will look at a scientist saying, you know, automatically assuming you're coming in as a skeptic, you're coming in as an, almost a, a hardened disbeliever. Well, you know, I, I definitely think that exists. I mean, I think, you know, even in the science world, you have, you know, for people that are on the outside sort of fringe of science, I think you tend to see a lot of disbelief in the science world. And, you know, and I think a lot of our great thinkers, uh, you know, Einstein, people probably thought he was a little crazy. He was on the fringe of science. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think he didn't fit in the mainstream. So, I mean, I think, you know, there's definitely always going to be a battle between science and the paranormal world, for example, you know, that, that they both kind of have doubts. And I think sometimes scientists do have a little bit of a fear of being associated with the paranormal world and, and how that would be perceived in the science world. Same with the paranormal world as well. It's, it, I, I've recently, in the last few months, I've started taking music lessons. And I never thought I could be somebody that could be involved with that because my brain just wasn't geared toward it. And Sorry to say. So you thought. Sorry to say. It probably still really isn't. I'm still working on it. But I... I always approach things as kind of like a, a be able to do it or can't do it approach. And I almost wonder if maybe the paranormal is kind of the same idea as music. If you approach music from a solely scientific perspective, it's not going to come out the way that it should. But when you can start adding in some creativity and some faith in what it is that you're doing and say, okay, I've got a good idea here with the structure and the theory of how to do it. Now I've just got to kind of let the creative juices and the and the flow take over, that's when you actually achieve it. And I think the paranormal is kind of similar. You can bring that science into it, but in, unless you're willing to make that leap with science as the platform, then it's never going to come together for you. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's all about finding a balance 
the balance between the two things, the balance between, you know, set rigid science and, and believing in something. But now, how do you take uh, your adventures into the paranormal and your background as a scientist and say, well, I think now we should start dragging people to all these places and <laughs> putting them in harm's way? Well, you know, if somebody I, gets I, crushed from a Bigfoot, I hope you have uh, insurance for that. Well, absolutely, and a first <laughs> okay. aid kit, you know, because you never know when a Band-Aid might come in handy for that. Um, you know, I mean, well, geez, I mean, there's even risk being in a science lab. I mean, you can sure. be doing a science experiment in chemistry and something goes terribly awry. So, you know, I don't know that, you know, looking for Bigfoot on a hike or you know, investigating a haunted location is necessarily any more dangerous. Sure. I mean, I'm just being facetious. Yeah, Although it I is, know you are. If I'm around, it is dangerous because uh, one thing, you don't want me leading anybody around in the woods. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> even, though good I to have know. A, even though I have a very good natural sense of direction, I have no idea what poison ivy looks like. <laughs> ah, well, so. see, this is, this is a good information to have. So we'll see if you're going to lead any sort of an expedition. That's when you call Believe It Tour so we can step in and help you out. But if it comes to uh, bringing somebody into a haunted location and you want to see people get smacked around and pushed around, I'm your man. Okay. Like, as in, I'll be the one that ends up getting smacked and pushed around, but... He's not kidding. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) Well, I guess that's part of the adventure, isn't it? Sure, but now, but all kidding aside, what what is Believe It Tour? I mean, what what is it that you're trying to do with these events? Well, you know, I think with Believe It Tour, we're kind of doing a couple of things. I mean, I think one of the the basic foundations for what what we look at is we we kind of look at the idea of why as children we believe in all these amazing things. You know, we believe in all these magical things and and tales and monsters and all of this. But then, as we get a little bit older and we become adults, we're really taught to do completely the opposite of that, and we lose so much of that inner child in us. So Believe It Tour kind of seeks to, to look at what people's beliefs are and how they, you know, what people believe in as kids, how that changes as adults, why that changes. So we kind of, you know, with this exploration, we kind of merge, you know, modern technology with the web and blogs and things like that and combine it with community outreach and events you know, to kind of bring it all together. Yeah, it's funny because uh, I just read today, I was reading Sports Illustrated, oh. and there's a story about Jim Irsay, the or- owner of the Colts. And he's a big uh, music guy. He's a big, he's kind of like a, almost like a hippie rocker type character. And he, he often quotes song lyrics. And he said there's only two things important in life, and he quoted David Gray, the musician. Uh, and there's only two important things in life, and that's magic and innocence. Absolutely. Those are the two things that you need to get through. And it sounds like what you're doing are two, they bring those two things back to people who may have lost them. Absolutely. And, you know, I think when people start kind of examining what they believed in as kids, they may, even just for a minute, get a glimpse of what that felt like to be a kid. I mean, because I think, you know, if we really think about it, we can all kind of remember back to when we were kids and when something was just truly magical, when we, you know, really believed in you know, Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy and, you know, that good monsters existed. And I think when as adults we can kind of get in touch with that a little bit and feel some of that innocence and magic again, that's an amazing thing. I and mean, so, a lot of times, though, when you've lost it, it's so hard to get it back. Ah, but it's not impossible, though. Is there, um, is there a point where you can't, where almost you become too hardened, where you become too negative that, you know, 
there's no going back to it. I mean, we all see, you know, the, the feel good movies and everything where, you know, Citizen Kane, you know, somebody's the most, uh, egomaniacal publisher in the world, but just, you know, when he sees that sled, it just brings us happy memories of his childhood back. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's, there's gotta be something like that in everybody, I would think. Well, you know, I, I definitely believe there is. I mean, I, I guess maybe I'm a real optimist, but I, I never think it's too late, that it's never too late to get in touch with that. I mean, you know, I, I think a perfect example of that is when we see the popularity of the initial Harry Potter book. You know, everybody loved it. Kids loved it. Teenagers loved it. Adults loved it. You know, kids, kids loved it because they were right there. It, it wasn't a stretch for them to imagine all of these things in this book were real. Teenagers were close enough to being a kid that when they'd read it, they could completely relate and they could maybe let go of a little bit of that teenager part. And adults read it and even for a second, they captured something from childhood. So I think because we see popularity and things like that, there's definitely hope for it. You know, that, that people want to get back in touch with that and they, they search for that. Maybe they don't necessarily know that's what they're looking for, but you know, I, I think they are. So what what are some of the things that Believe It Tour has been able to do to kind of bring some of this magic back? What are some of the events that you've done uh, in the past? Well, we, we kind of do a couple of different things. You know, sometimes locally we may do things um, like having dinners with speakers come in. And kind of one of the things that we do with our events is we sort of resurrect a little bit the art of story, storytelling. And I think when we do that, we're allowing people to connect and investigate some of the things that they believe in. So, you know, on a local level, we do things like that. But then usually once a year we do something that we call our Believe It Tour, where just a small group, core group of us actually go out and have a grand adventure. Um, the last one we had was this last summer, and we went all throughout California and started in San Diego and went up the backside through Death Valley and stopped at haunted hotels and went up to Northern California to search for Bigfoot and actually spent a good deal of time up there and actually hiked into the Patterson-Gimlin film site, came down the front of the state, um, you know, stopped where Paul Bunyan is in the Redwoods, so we looked at some folklore, and then came back down through San Francisco and L.A. And, you know, kind of along the way, we're meeting all kinds of different people and hearing all sorts of amazing stories. And so maybe, you know, all of our believe as we call it, couldn't come on the tour with us, but, you know, we took photos, we blogged, we did video. So it was kind of like virtually people could come along with us and, and reconnect with other people and hear stories and get in touch with some of those beliefs that we had as a kid. And it sounds like there are people that, that want to have that feeling again, that they're actively looking for it. Absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, I think we have had such a fantastic reception from people and, you know... I think when people start to hear some of the things that we do, they're like, yeah, you know, there were things that I believed in as a kid. And, you know, just because everywhere we go, people are anxious to talk to us. And I think one of the things that we do, because we want to hear people's stories, is that we actually listen. And I think society gets so busy and we get so wrapped up in all the things that we do every day that people don't have anybody that really listens to their stories. And... So when they do, it's an amazing experience for them. And, and for us, when we're on the receiving end of hearing some of these, you know, fantastic adventures people have that, you know, maybe somebody's seen a lake monster in Lake Tahoe or has actually seen Bigfoot or heard Bigfoot or had an amazing paranormal adventure somewhere or saw a UFO. Well, I mean, I think with the way technology is and the way that the paranormal field is, 
too many people want to be the ones speaking and not the ones listening anymore. Absolutely. And you're really not going to learn anything that way except what your own voice sounds like. Oh, I agree. And, you know, I think if you're not listening, you really miss out. And you could miss out on, I mean, because, like, when I, I think about the tour that we were on this summer, we met some just absolutely amazing people. And if we wouldn't have been on the tour and we wouldn't have taken the time to stop and connect with people and, you know, as I was saying, kind of bring back the art of storytelling, we would have really missed out on an amazing, you know, kind of once-in-a-lifetime experience. I mean, I say once-in-a-lifetime, but yet it's, you know, something that we kind of do, you know, at least once a year. So it's it's amazing. Well, looking at the, and as you said, people can follow along with these adventures on the website. Looking at the way uh-huh. that it's structured, uh, it looks like you have different chapters and that people can actually log on and become members of those particular chapters. Absolutely, yeah. We have chapters that range everywhere from Los Angeles to New England and New York. And when you become a member, is that just going in there and being able to post and interact with people on the site? Um, well, we don't exactly have it like that. Um, usually people can interact a little bit more on a face-to-face level with events that we put on and things like that. So it's a chance to kind of uh, know, who, know who these people are that are going to these events and be able to connect with them uh, physically, which, oh, oh, my God, people actually getting together instead of just doing things on the Internet? Absolutely. You know, and and I think, and that's kind of, you know, an amazing concept for some people because, you know, we're getting together doing some different things. You know, people that may never have met are meeting and exchanging some great stories. So, you know, again, we're kind of bringing this community outreach thing through some of the events that we're doing as well. I mean, there's there's so many people that I know who basically all their social interaction is done with a keyboard. Yeah, and, which is unfortunate because, yeah. I mean, it's definitely a way of using technology, and you know, and I'm going to say that we definitely use technology because that's one of the ways that we connect everybody together. You know, for for believe it to her that you know when we're in California, I mean, we definitely utilize technology to its fullest. That you know, when we were on the road, one person was writing the blogs and posting them as one person's driving, another person's doing video editing. We're getting photos up on the, you know, on the web so that as we're going, people can follow along and see us. But when it comes to the paranormal, I've, I've come to believe that the only thing uh, more important than experiencing something for yourself is having that be a shared experience with someone else. Oh, absolutely. And the fact that you have these events that people can, can attend, like the one that's coming up, is a chance to at least you know, get together and, and share some of these experiences and beliefs. And it, it sounds like a lot of fun, too. Uh, it's called My Spooky Valentine, and it's taking place on Saturday, February 13th uh, in Rhode Island. Tell us tell us a little bit about the event. Well, I mean, the event's going to be something that, you know, everybody does sort of the same thing for Valentine's Day, you know, the nice dinner out, the romantic thing. But we've kind of taken it a little bit of a step further and elaborated on it. So it's, it's almost, um, you know, kind of like Halloween meets Valentine's Day just a little bit. Uh, we have a haunted inn that we're working with where the event's being held in Rhode Island. And so we're actually going to be in a haunted venue, and we're going to have dancing, an appetizer bar, and a chance for people to actually come together, exchange some stories, you know, listen to some great music, and dance and have a fantastic evening. People are also welcome to, you know, come dressed in costume if they want. They don't have to. Um, But it's going to be a, a fun event. And tickets are $25. It is 21 plus. Yes, it is. And it's yes. at the Windswept Inn in Charlestown, Rhode Island. Yes, it is. 
So when you put all these people together in a room on Valentine's Day and you say, you know, uh, wear a spooky costume if you want, I can only imagine what kind of things they're going to come up with. You're going to have (laughs) hearts falling out of people's chests and, you know, we're going to have killer killer uh, cupids running around and exactly oh my god well, Moniz you know, is going to show up in just a diaper out. exactly <laughs> <laughs> but you know i mean i think it's going to be you know something that's going to be a little bit unique a little bit different a lot of fun because our events are always a lot of fun and you know i mean i think today people look for something a little bit different and it's a fantastic value for 25 dollars for what they're getting and it's going to be something unique okay. they will always remember my spooky Valentine. You never know, too. You might be, you know, walking down the hallway to go use the restroom or something and have a paranormal experience for yourself. Well, you know, it's really quite likely because, you know, I know this site, all the different areas. Um, this is actually one of the halls that's there, but, you know, the, the inn itself is very haunted, and they've had a lot of paranormal activity there. So so who knows? And there's actually... Maybe that ghost you see isn't just someone in a Halloween costume. There's actually rooms available, too. <laughs> so if people want to exactly. stay the night and maybe have an experience for themselves in their room, they can, too. Absolutely. A paranormal Absolutely. one? Ex- yeah. Whatever, whatever kind of experience they want to have, they're paying for the room. <laughs> exactly. Well, it is we Valentine's Day, yeah. too. So. Yeah. I just, you know, I know, I just need to know which website I'm going to to see the evidence footage. That's all. Exactly. Well, you know, certainly if there's something to see, well, paranormal. People can definitely see it on com. We the will other, capture it on there. The other kind of evidence, you know, you, you have to have a major credit card to log on. And well, yeah, and, and we definitely don't want to go there. We're, you know, a little bit different slant. Remember the children aspect here. So, <laughs> <laughs> so w- when when uh, you actually go out and, and go on these trips with the other people that are involved and you go on all these, how much planning must go into making sure that you get the optimal amount of time uh checking out these sites and getting to as many of them as you can, or do you just freeform it? Well, you know, it's kind of a mix of the two things. Um, for definitely for the California trip, because, you know, a few of us traveled from the East Coast to go to the West Coast, you know, we had, I think it was about 17 days and 26 stops, and we drove 3,000 and something miles in the state. So, you know, in order to be able to pull that off, you do have to do a lot of planning. And each stop we, we were at, we were meeting people and doing things, so there was, you know, a lot of planning that went into it. However, sometimes there would be some unexpected event that would come up, so you also had to be flexible enough to deal with that. And, you know, we always found that even if something maybe didn't turn out exactly as we were expecting, something even better happened. So, you know, I think you just have to be a little flexible with that and open to whatever the experience is. And is there... Uh... When you're out there doing this and you're, you're meeting people, and are you getting a lot of people who are kind of you know, supporting you along the tour, people who are uh, kind of cheering you on, almost like people uh, along the sides of a marathon route? Well, absolutely. You know, I think, um, you know, some people, it, some, some of the stops we were going to knew we were going to be there and were really supportive of it. You know, along the way we would encounter people, you know, here we are driving this van with these signs on, and people would ask, you know, what are you about, or... You know, as we were going down the road, one of the places we were, somebody actually looked up our website, which was on the side of the van, on their iPhone, and then sent us a message. Hey, we just saw you on the road. That was awesome. So, you know, I mean, I think it was moments like that when we get support from people when we were on the road. It was really awesome. And we realized that we were actually were touching people that maybe never would have even known anything about Believe It Tour. 
And it's it's amazing to some people when they say, well, I can understand having one, two, three, or four of these spots uh, where activity might happen, different types of sightings might occur, but they don't realize until they see somebody going out there and doing this how many there are and how close they are together. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, I think people don't really realize how much is actually around them. I mean, where I live, I'm probably about 15 miles north of New York City, and right in the area where I live, there have been Bigfoot sightings. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and most people wouldn't even think about that. But I think anywhere you are, there's going to be something, whether it's a cryptozoology experience or something extraterrestrial or paranormal. It's all around us everywhere. And I think it's just a matter of being open and, and looking for it. Aside from, you know, as we said earlier at the beginning of the discussion, aside from it being kind of your job as a scientist to want to investigate this stuff, what was it that really did get you uh, involved in wanting to pursue the existence of the paranormal? Well, you know, I mean, I think for me, I've I've had a few interesting experiences in my life that the science side of me could not quite explain away, and but yet the science side was interested to try to find an explanation for it. And then the creative side was just kind of going along with the experience, going, well, you know, I don't necessarily need to explain this. So, I mean, I think from a very young age, I've always been interested in this. And, you know, never knowing if I would get an answer or not, but, you know, just being open to whatever I might discover. It seems like when you approach it with that balanced uh, approach, you're probably automatically setting yourself up to uh, almost be overly critical of what it is that happens to you when you do experience it because you you know that scientific side of you is going to require further proof have you ever run into encounters where you, you know your analytical mind has kind of said no no we can't accept this and let's just kind of forget that it happened um you know i i haven't i think just maybe because i have that balance between the creative and the science so i haven't ever had something where you know, the science side just went into overload and couldn't process what I was seeing, you know, that, that I think I've always been open enough to that so that, you know, I didn't discount something. Usually when it comes to, like, psychic things, that's when my analytical mind takes over way too much, yeah. uh, especially uh, if I'm in the presence of somebody that's maybe conducting a seance or channeling or, or things to that event. I just I can't seem to shake the... The skepticism and the the disbelief—not the disbelief, but just the yeah—the hard. It's very hard for me to accept that it's actually happening. Well, and you know, I mean, I think you know anybody that's in the world of paranormal cryptozoology, there's always going to be some skepticism. I mean, some things that you see and you're just like, well, I just don't know about that. But I think that's okay. I think that's okay to have that mix of things that maybe you experience and you can't explain, but you did experience it, or the things that you look at with skepticism and you just think, well, I, I don't know about that. And, and I think that's totally okay, too. I, I think you're always going to have a mix. I don't think everything you're going to always believe or that, you know, if you're open to it, that everything you're going to doubt either. But, I mean, I think if you have that healthy balance, you can sort of question it and stay open to experiences and determine how you choose to to view them. And having that balance probably also makes you a valuable resource for others, too. There's probably some people that will believe anything, and they want to ask your opinion 
when it comes to something, or, or have you tried to experience it as well because you have that balance, because you have that, that scientific side of you as well? But, you know, I mean, I think at least to the core people that are involved in Believe It Tour, we try very carefully not to really give opinions on things mm-hmm. because we like people to sort of form their own and have their own experience because I think, you know, for example, if I were to go into a situation and somebody asked what my opinion was, maybe if I were to give that, it would sway what their experience would be. And I very much want, if I'm around other people, to have their own individual experiences. And, you know, maybe we can all talk about it and have some discussions, which I think that is fantastic. But I don't ever want to have my opinions cloud somebody else's experiences. Well, that's absolutely the way to be. Well, I can't help but think back, though, when, I, when I'm listening to you describe what the basic idea of the Believator is, I can't help but think back that this is something that, even though the way you're doing it is probably a new idea, uh, just looking back through history, there's always been almost there's always been somebody associated with each culture that has come and brought them information of of these types of things. Somebody who has come and told yeah. them these stories. It's almost like you're the modern day storytellers of the existence of these things. Well, you know, I mean, I think we definitely. You know, because as I was, you know, saying about bringing back the art of storytelling, you know, I mean, I think seeing folklore, which is kind of one of the areas that we look at, that was kind of the spread of different beliefs, and that's kind of what, you know, because a lot of cultures just had an oral history that they kept alive. Mm-hmm. And and I think because we're in such an age of technology, you know, people are text messaging or emailing, and people are kind of losing touch with the storytelling aspect of things. So, you know, I like to think that's maybe something that we're trying to bring back. But, you know, also utilizing modern technology to do it a little bit, but, you know, also keeping in touch with people. But even beyond just the storytelling, because, you know, it's not just a matter of coming and telling them what it is that you're experiencing. The fact that you can bring them into it with you, it's almost, uh, it's almost shamanistic in the fact that you can draw them into this world and, and draw them into these experiences. It's, you're the connection between that world and, and people who don't step foot into it. Well, you know, I mean, I think if, because as adults, we we get kind of far away from it, and sometimes it is nice having a catalyst that can maybe help you get over there and, you know, maybe something that helps people look at what they believe in and to maybe get back in touch with that. Because, you know, maybe if something isn't in front of somebody, they're just not going to think about it. And, you know, maybe that's something that we can do with some some of the things that we do, some of the blogs that we write, some of the events that we put on, and, and those things are some of the tours that we have and go have face-to-face meetings with people and, and talk and exchange stories. Well, I think we've gotten, we've actually gotten pretty deep in the discussion, but the bottom line is My Spooky Valentine is going to be one fun night. It is going to be an absolutely fantastic, fun, unique experience for everybody. And again, that's coming up on Saturday, February 13th, 8 o'clock at the Windswept Inn in Charlestown, Rhode Island. 21 Absolutely. plus $25 for the tickets. And it says here, appetizer bar. Yes. That, that, anytime there's appetizers. You know. Well, yeah. I mean, that just makes everything, doesn't it? I think you're going to have me there doing a live remote. <laughs> Fantastic. We Probably. love it. But we'd love to it. see you again, Diane. I had fun talking with you when we were up at Monster Mash. I know. That was a, that was a fun experience. That was fun. But, and see, my spooky Valentine's also going to be fun, too. So, yeah. yeah. And... If people are interested in purchasing tickets, they can um, come to our website, which is believeittour.com, and they can purchase tickets on there. Tickets are limited, so hopefully people will hurry up and do that before we sell out, but it's 
an evening not to be missed. And one thing I do want to point out, because it says here, and I want to make sure that we note it, uh, cash bar, sorry, no credit cards. Yes. That's, that's my general rule of thumb whenever I'm going to a bar, because when, when I run out of cash, I'm out of cash. But when the credit card is there, I end up, you know, with a $500 credit card bill that I have no Ooh. idea how I amassed it. So. Yeah, that's not good. Drinks on everybody! <laughs> Drinks on me! So. <laughs> All right, so again, uh, that's coming up February 13th at 8 o'clock p.m. in Rhode Island, Charlestown, Rhode Island, and you can go on to BelieveItTour.com. It's linked up on SpookySouthCoast.com as well. We wish you the best of luck with this event and with all, everything that you do. Thank and, you so uh, much. If you ever decide to, to bring a Believe It Tour to New England and chronicle a lot of these spooky locations around here, we'll be more than happy to help you find some. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you, and thank you for the opportunity to be on the show tonight. It was great. All right, take care. We'll talk soon. Thank you. That is Diana Smith of the Believe It Tour. And check out their site, BelieveItTour.com. That does it for us tonight. And uh, we are promising you that uh, starting next week we won't be so full of ourselves. I think we got a little a little <laughs> egotistical here tonight being our fourth anniversary. But we can do that. We're allowed to. It's like when it's your birthday and nobody can really argue about you with anything. And so now, because it is technically Spooky South Coast birthday, we're going to go to Denny's and get our free breakfast. <laughs> So uh, we'll be back next week with our guest, Alexandra Bruce, to talk about 2012. Is it science? Is it superstition? We'll find out about all of that. If you want to watch the film in advance, uh, you can order it through the website disinfo.com. You can also get it through iTunes and Amazon and all these other websites as a digital download as well. So if you want to watch the movie and kind of experience it before the discussion, but I promise you, because I don't know... Uh, enough about this 2012 thing. We're going to ask all the questions next week, so you'll find out. We'll be here right at 10 o'clock, and that's when we'll be on every Saturday night, at least until March Madness, if if that's going to be happening here. We'll keep you up to date. SpookySouthCoast.com, that's the place to go. Also, Twitter.com slash SpookySC. And, of course, there's four years' worth of shows posted up on the website in the archives. So check those out if you've got some time. So until next week, for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Look, I know the supernatural is something that...